Hi, everyone. Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us, and he has a word for you today. We are sure of it. Take some time out to listen, and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Family, let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person, and that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's do our Bible confession before we jump into the word for today. This is my Bible. Ready? Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. When you hold your Bible up, when you say that confession, I want you to know that from the bottom of your heart, this confession is what we believe. First image, I want to let you know how we're operating. As you know, pastors Mike and Shalita Austin taught us on kingdom currency. Give God some praise for the messages they brought forth. Thank you, thank you. Wonderful messages. We're actually running two series in parallel. I informed them as well as others in the ministry that although the ministry as a whole has moved into kingdom currency, I still have a couple of things that I want to teach from health and healing. So if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes where you subdivide things, know that I will let you know when I shift to kingdom currency. But for now, I'm continuing with health and healing. Next image. Image that you've already seen. And if you listen to Pastor Mike's message, you know that I can repeat things over and over and over again. <laughs> Boy, he said that. I laughed so I almost peed my pants. I laughed so, I laughed so, I laughed so hard because, you know, me and Greta, we talk about that. We've never mentioned that to him, have we? We never mentioned that to him that, when I teach, I go through and I parse things. So we could talk about one verse in the Bible for like a year. But you know what? The fact that he said that just made me laugh so hard, but I, I just want to tell you that. There's more to that, but I don't want to take up too much time, but God bless you for saying that, man. Thanks for being obedient. We are on re-engage, family. For our gate, for our part of our, our, our vision, it says as a goal, re-engage life regardless of the fear or failure and re-engage it without condemnation, knowing that if you fall in the process, your risen king has empowered you to get up. 
And that part there where we're talking about fear or failure is very important today. I'm definitely not going to read you the account of Jairus' daughter a 23rd time. Not this week. <laughs> not this week. But I do want to tell you that I appreciate Pastor Michael and Pastor Shalita taking the reins for a couple of weeks because it has given me an opportunity to really seek God as to, God, do you really want me to talk about this in this fashion? I am not, I don't just teach you willy-nilly just off the cuff. I'm very sensitive and I'm very purposeful. And at the conclusion of my discussion with God, yes, I need to teach it, and I need to teach it in this way. Next image. I told you that there were going to be two topics that we were going to engage in. We talked about the seven relational scenarios. We went to the book of Revelation and talked about those seven letters to the churches. That has been done. The topic today is divorce. Before we jump into that topic, this is nothing I haven't said before, but please give me the liberty to make this disclaimer for the record one more time. Next image. I am not, I do not promote divorce. For the record, say this with me. Say, pastor does not, pastor does not promote, promote divorce. divorce. Now, that's for the record. Nonetheless, family, divorce as a topic is tricky. But it is one that we should address in church. I have been impressing upon each and every person that you should scrutinize your personal network. And by scrutinize that personal network, which, by the way, I refer to as your circle, by scrutinize it, I mean that you are to effectively get the right people, keep them in there, and get the wrong people out. We also refer to it as keeping your circle right and tight. When we look at this, though, your circle, you could think of your circle as a connection or a network of relationships. But biblically speaking, in the eyes of God, there are no stronger bonds and connections than that between a husband and a wife in marriage. If you are married... The bond with your spouse, ladies to your husband, 
husband to your wife, that bond is or should be. Everybody say should be. Should be. The strongest bond that you have with another human. It should be the strongest. That bond that you have with your spouse, that bond should be stronger than the bond you got with your mama or your daddy or your greedy, greedy <laughs> grandmammy. Remember that when you was growing up? Your mama, your daddy, your greedy, greedy grandmammy. She 99, she drank that wine, now she look like Frankenstein. Hey, you remember it? You, re you remember it? Miami, Miami remember it. But that Bond family between husband and wife, if you're married, your bond should be stronger with your spouse than it is with your mama or your daddy. Yes, ma'am, it should be. Or your granddaddy or your grandmama or your child or your friend or your frat brother or your sorrow or your pastor or your life coach. The person that you said I do to should share a bond with you that does not come second to any bond you have with anybody else. When we talk about divorce, it's a touchy subject because marriage is an institution whereby the man and the woman make a commitment to become one. And God's expectation is that that commitment, that union, that covenant be permanent. Notice this in the book of Mark. This is Jesus talking. Mark chapter 10, verse 6 through 9 in the Amplified Classic and verse 9 in the King James. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave behind his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and cleave closely to her permanently. And the two shall become one flesh so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has united, joined together, let not man separate or divide. For those, for those of us who grew up in the Baptist, Methodist, old time church, you remember this King James version that they even put in the wedding vows. It says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Or in the wedding vows, it says, let no man put asunder. They get the deep word, no man. You know, make sure they try to scare that covenant into you. But the expectation is that 
this union be for life. When we think about life, what that means is that when a husband and a wife are joined, when a man and a woman get together in holy matrimony, they are not to enter into that covenant already having concluded that divorce is an option. Not going into it. And said said a, little, a little bit more in your face. When a person get married, they should not get married and have the assumption in their head already that I have an exit ramp called divorce if I decide I don't like this person no more. God looks at marriage as serious business. And if it's serious business to God, if marriage is serious business, then by default, divorce is even more serious. When we think about this, I'm looking at scenarios in my mind. Scenarios that if we say it's serious to God, if we say divorce is serious then by default, all of this seriousness requires that we do not turn a blind eye to the reality that divorce happens. We cannot be afraid to talk about it. We have to be open to discuss it. As a matter of fact, the Bible contains the words and mentions divorce several times. So it's not like the word itself is taboo. If you say divorce, ain't nobody going to come get you. Lightning ain't going to strike you. Divorce. Right? Where the rubber hits the road, though, family, where the rub between believers comes from is really what are the valid grounds for divorce. If we were to put that in the vernacular or the terminology that we're using, are there criteria that you can use to determine if divorce is a genuine, valid consideration. Is there divorce criteria? A husband stands with his wife's coin in his hand. And he wants to know can the Bible produce for me criteria such that when I flip my wife coin up in that criteria, it'll come down and land and tell me 
is she right people or wrong people? If I take my husband, this is the wife, and flip his coin up, is there criteria that when it lands, I can make the determination whether or not, based on the criteria, my husband is the right people or the wrong people? From a marriage standpoint, though, from a husband and wife standpoint, all of this right people and wrong people, what we're really trying to get at is this. Is there something that the Bible can tell me to help me determine whether or not in my marriage I must stay or do I have valid grounds for considering divorce? And my answer to you is, yes, the Bible can help you with that. The Bible can help you sift through whether or not that should even be a consideration. And we start with this, Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, in the voice and easy to read. Some Pharisees approached Jesus and asked him this tricky question about divorce. The Pharisees said, is it ever lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, that comes across too vanilla in the voice. The easy to read gets you to the tricky part. It says, some Pharisees came to Jesus. They tried to make him say something wrong. They asked him, is it right for a man to divorce his wife for any reason he chooses? It's important that you keep verse 3 in the easy to read in mind. We're going to go through now in the voice and read this in completeness, but just wanted you to know that what the Pharisees were, offer, were asking was not just divorce, but hey, for any reason, I choose Let's go back to Matthew, go to Matthew 19 in the voice, now the full. Starting at verse 3, now going through verse 6. Some Pharisees approached Jesus and asked him this tricky question about divorce. The Pharisee says, is it ever lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus says, haven't you read that in the beginning God created humanity, male and female? Don't you remember what the story of our creation tells us about marriage? For this reason... A man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. If a husband and wife are one flesh, how can they divorce? Divorce would be a bloody amputation, would it not? What God has brought together, let no man separate. Now, keep going. Go to the next one, yep. Verses 9 through 7, continuing, the Pharisees don't give up that easy. So they asked Jesus, why did Moses explain that if a man leaves his wife, then he must give her a certificate of divorce and send her away free and clear of him? You can find that in Deuteronomy between 22 and 20, chapter 22 and 24, if you want to read that. But Jesus says, 
Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But divorce was not, was an innovation and accommodation to a fallen world. There was no divorce at creation. Listen, friends, if you leave your wife unless there is adultery, then and then marry another woman, you yourself are committing adultery. Only if there is adultery can you divorce your wife. So for criteria, we can say without a doubt that adultery, infidelity, looking for young people, having sex with someone who is not your husband or your wife, that goes in the criteria bucket. Clearly, that is the biblical grounds right there for you to consider, consider, consider divorce. But is that the only consideration? Is that the only thing that can be in the criteria? There are many, 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 many people that will tell you that this is the only criteria. And they have a strong case. Because who's saying this? Jesus. Hey, come on, let's say it from your chest. Jesus, Jesus is saying this. The son of God. The lamb. Right? And it's hard to debate when somebody points to Jesus saying something so definitively as using the words only if. But I'm going to challenge that. Are you going to challenge Jesus? No, of course not. Some might think this semantics. But I'm going to challenge that adultery is the only instance that God will understand. If I make that contention, then I must have for you some other criteria, and I do. Let's move to Corinthians. This is Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 11 in the voice. To those who are unmarried or widowed, here's my advice. It's a good thing to stay single, as I do. Everybody out there who ain't married, they be trying to run down trying to get you a husband and a wife. Sometimes you should talk to somebody that's married. It's not all rainbows and cookies and balloons and butterflies. I just want to let you know that. I know Greta loved me, but sometimes she want to slap me upside the head. Sometimes she want to send me back to my mama. Sometimes she want to just shake me and ask me, what the heck is going on in your head? Paul say, for those who are unmarried or widowed, here's my advice. It is a good thing to stay single as I do. That's just a side note. But he says, if they do not have self-control, they should go ahead and get married. Paul, what kind of self-control? Oh, here we go. It is much better to marry than to be obsessed by sexual urges. 
to those who are married, here's my command. And Paul goes and says, to be clear, this isn't merely my opinion. It comes from the teaching of the Lord Jesus. It is not right for a wife to leave her husband. If she does, she must either remain single or reconcile with her husband, but she should not marry someone else. Likewise, the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, freeze it right here. Right here, Paul is echoing the sentiment that this thing should be permanent. That we don't just willy-nilly just go around just divorcing folks. We think it, when you get married, this thing is supposed to be permanent. But another thing you need to know here is Paul is talking to believer married to a believer. Two believers married together. He goes on to address the other scenario where you have a non-believer married to a believer. Let's go. Verse 12, to everybody else. Here he goes. Here is my counsel, and he clarifies. This is not a direct command from the Lord. It is my opinion. I like that. Because what your pastor is going to be giving you today is his opinion. And I got news for you. Every pastor give you his opinion. Everybody that presents something to you give you their opinion. They may back it up with data. They may back it up with who said what. They may back it up with how many people said it. But you know what? It's their opinion. Yeah, we can find the exact word somewhere in a chapter and a verse, but by the time they finish expounding, there is some opinion sprinkled in there. But he says, it's my opinion. If a brother has a wife who does not believe Jesus' teachings and the truth of his resurrection, he is to stay with her as long as she's willing to live with him. The same is true for any sister. You should not leave your husband even if he has no allegiance to Jesus. Here's the reason. The unbelieving husband is consecrated by that union, touched by the grace of God through his believing wife. And the same is true when the husband is a man of faith and he's wed to an unbelieving wife. His wife is consecrated through their union. If this weren't so, your children wouldn't be pure. But as it is, when faith enters in, God sets apart these children to be used uniquely for his purposes. Now, let's get to where I want to get you to and give you my opinion. Let's go. <laughs> he goes on to say, if the unbelieving spouse decides, to, decides the marriage is over, then let him or her go. The believing partner is freed from the marital vows because God has called you to peace. Now, the one, once again, that the traditionalists are used to hearing is this one from the King James, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Paul gave you his opinion. Now, here comes mine. If a spouse elects to depart, here I come, whether saved or not, 
if they decide to depart, leaving their spouse to fend for themselves in life, to fend for themselves all alone, then that departing spouse has broken the covenant. I'm not talking about somebody just, just get mad, get in their car and ride around on the interstate and come back. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about abandonment. Everybody say abandonment. 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 Now tell me this. Just, just kind of play with it for a while with me. When a spouse departs, what is the spouse who is left behind supposed to do? Are they supposed to buy time and hope that the departing spouse returns? Oh, oh okay, let's, let's, let's run with that. And we obviously are going to talk about more than, you know, a day. More than a couple weeks. But how much time are they to buy? Are, are they to wait for their spouse to return for a year? Two years. What about five years? Ten years? A couple decades? Ooh, a lifetime. I will tell you that waiting for some long, extended super stretched out period of time, it's admirable. It's very gracious of you. You can wait a lifetime if you want to, and that would be admirable. But is that required of the God who has called you to peace? Is that required? I mean, we're talking about abandonment. The Bible says two become one. I want to be one with you. You don't want to be one with me. Abandonment. How much time is that person supposed to buy? But because you're paying attention, you raise your hand and you say, hold up, pastor. Paul said, if the unbelieving depart, so even though we're trying to put abandonment in there, I understand that if you were like neck and neck, shoulder to shoulder with Paul, I might can get on your side with this abandonment stuff, but you telling me that two believers, if one of the believers abandons the other, that you putting it in the same bucket. Yes, that is what I'm saying. Because the same Paul said this in Timothy. First Timothy family, chapter 5, verse 8 in the Amplified Classic and easy to read. If anyone fails to provide for his relatives 
and especially for those of his own family, he has disowned the faith by failing to accompany it with fruits and is worse than an unbeliever who performs his obligation in these matters. Look at the easy to read. Everyone should take care of their own people. Most important, they should take care of their own family. If they do not do that, then they do not accept what we believe. They are worse than someone who does not even believe in God. So, yes, just because you are saved, you do not get a pass on your bad actions. If you abandon your spouse, in my opinion, that makes the covenant broken. I put abandonment in the criteria. Now our next piece of criteria, abuse. Let's go. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, Amplified Classic, here is Paul. But understand this that in the last days will come set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate greedy desire for wealth, proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing. Now, I pause there because... We talk about blasphemy and blasphemous. We use that word all the time in church. But I wanted to take the liberty just to share a couple of synonyms for blasphemous so that we don't just run past that word. What are some of, some of, those, some of those synonyms? Well, here we go. Disrespectful, insulting, rude, wicked, immoral, godless, offensive, evil, sinful, sinful blasphemous. Now, let's take 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, our verses all the way through, starting at verse 1. Verses 1 through 5. Here we go. But understand this, that in the last days will come set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered, lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate greedy desire for wealth, proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive blasphemous, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce, haters of good, and fierce, comma, haters of good. They will be treacherous, betrayers, rash, and inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than, rather, more than and rather than lovers of God. For although they hold a form of piety, true religion, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession, 
Avoid all such people. Turn away from them. Now, family, I want you to look at this. And I want you to tell me. If you are a spouse of someone who possesses these qualities. Now, we're talking qualities. So qualities, you can call them attributes. You can call them traits. You can call them characteristics. Whatever you want to call them, I'm calling them qualities. If you are a spouse of someone who possesses these qualities and that individual routinely directs these qualities towards you as the target, tell me, what are you to do? Now, let's notice, if we are to avoid and turn away from all such people in general, are you saying that you are now required to deal with this behavior and put up with it in your marriage? If, if what you are to do is to avoid all such people in general, how does that now make that kind of behavior okay because you're married? Why is that now okay in your house? I'm telling you that it's not. I don't think, I don't think that that's God's intent for you to have to live in this manner. But let's, let's take it a, a different way. Notice this, what Jesus said in John 10. You know this by heart. Look at this. John 10, 10, Amplified Classic. Jesus says this, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Now, I want you to take that and put it in your mind as the backdrop. Let that soak deep in. Deep. Like, whenever, listen, one of my favorite meals is, this going to be sound so country to y'all, but get you some cornbread. It's got to be good cornbread, though. You can't just have junk. Get you some good cornbread, and you got to get it. It can't just be a chunk. It's got to be like a slice. Get you a good long slice. So don't get the square. Actually cut along the pan and just put the whole slice out there. And then you take that thing, and you, and you slice that mug. Whoop, whoop. And then you take some roast gravy, and you lay it, and you let that joker soak in that cornbread. I want you to let this right here. Let's, let's, let's slice you up, and let's let this John 10, 10 just soak in you like that good old cornbread and gravy. Right, because right now, Jesus is saying that he came that you have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. Let that be your backdrop. Go back up to Timothy again. Now, you tell me this. Tell me this. Does being the subject of abuse 
equate to having and enjoying life? Does being, look at this, does being the subject of callous and inhuman treatment, does that equate to living in the overflow? Does being the subject of uncontrolled and fierce actions, does that thing equate to living life and enjoying life and having it to the full till it overflows? Is that what that equates to? Absolutely not. Jesus did not come for you to be the battering ram for anybody. Jesus did not come for abuse to be your portion. But wait, Pastor, Jesus did say that in this world you will suffer persecution, that you, people are going to come at you, and because you believe in him, that you're going to have hard times, but be a good cheer because he has overcome the world. There is no way in God's green earth that Jesus meant that you would suffer persecution by your husband hitting you upside the head. That is not the intent. The intent is that marriage be a loving union. He was not talking about the people that you have covenant with just coming in, just... He was not talking about abuse. Not between that covenant. Yeah, the world can be crazy. The world can be nuts. People can hurt you. But don't you... Don't, don't tell me that God wants you to live through that mess. My opinion. And I'm, I'm allowed to have one. And so... I don't think abuse in God's mind is something that he would be like, hmm, you should have you stayed. I really don't. So I put abuse in the criteria. And we all know abuse can cover a lot of different things, and we'll touch on that in a second, but the point about what I'm getting ready to say here is that it, it can be subjective. Everything ain't abuse. Just because your feelings get hurt, that ain't abuse. You know, I mean, we gotta, we're, we're adults here. We don't need to try to figure out a way to turn it and flip it to make it be, I'm saying, abuse. And if I can use the word real, even though it can be subjective, I'm talking real abuse. Not just somebody doing something you don't like. Interestingly, though, this abuse. Give me my next one. Abuse, family. The interesting thing about abuse is that abuse is broader and more complicated than abandonment and adultery. For example, abandonment and definitely adultery, they typically have surface 
evidence. I mean, for abandonment, listen, Ricky was there, now he gone. There's evidence, look. Sheila was there, now she gone. Surface evidence when it comes to abandonment. Adultery. He slept with her. She slept with him. Hey, surface. Abuse, though, is different. Abuse can be physical, but abuse can also be just as brutal on an emotional and, and, and mental level. Sadly, non-physical abuse can be even more damaging than physical abuse. Because that emotional and mental assault, that, that, that assault can leave deep scars. Scars that are very deep and take a long time to heal. So loved ones, I put abuse in the bucket. So I made the contention. And what are the three items? What I call the criteria for considering divorce Adultery or infidelity, but adultery, abandonment, and abuse. The three A's. It's an easy way to remember. AAA, triple A. Adultery, abandonment, abuse. Family, there are pastors and believers and other Christians and Theologians, they're they not going to agree with me. They, they are actually probably will be very disgusted that I actually will present that, this stuff this way. What you're doing there, brother, is that you are giving people the idea that they should put divorce on the board. That's not what I told you. It disgusts them that I would even roll this topic out to you in this manner. They even may think that what I'm doing is guiding you away from the will of God. Because they say, you know, the Bible say God hates divorce. And they're right. They can find something that says that. Here we go. Malachi chapter 2. This is Malachi chapter 2. Go to the, there's another Malachi. 
It should be either in the voice or the easy read Epilogue Classic, uh, Malachi chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. I'll find it here for me. Give me a little bit of time here, y'all. It's in the easy to read. It should be image 17 in your, in your collection. But I'm going to go ahead and, and, and read it to them for now. Family, Malachi chapter 2, verses 15 through 16 in the easy to read, reads this way. God wants husbands and wives to become one body and one spirit. Oh, thank you, ma'am. Why? So that he would have holy children and protect that spiritual unity. Don't cheat on your wife. She has been your wife from the time you were young. The Lord God of Israel says, family, say those three words with me. I hate divorce. Oh, they're right. It's in there. The Lord God of Israel says, I hate divorce, and I hate the cruel things that men do. So protect your spiritual unity. Don't cheat on your wife. Now, family, let your pastor say again that I am not here promoting divorce. If we take this on its face, though, right there, the, that excerpt from verse 16, God says, I hate divorce. Those words pressed upon a believer, it scares them away from the topic of divorce altogether. All Those three words pressed in the face of a believer, what that does is it causes them to cower away, cower, cower away from truly and honestly evaluating the state and condition of their marriage because they feel by doing so they're going to anger God. And you should never be afraid to come to God with anything. It says that God says, I hate divorce. And they take that and they run with it. Allow me to share that same two verses in another translation, the NIV. Notice the difference. Verses 15 through 16 in Malachi 2. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect says the Lord God Almighty. I'm messing that up. Let me start over. That's the that's good thing about this. We're going to start it over. 
Re-engage life without fear of failure. <laughs> so here I go. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on guard and do not be unfaithful. God's comments here, loved ones, are more in line with Jesus' addressing the Pharisees regarding divorcing your wife for any reason. What God hates is these men just being so cavalier and frivolously just divorcing their wives for any reason as a cover-up to try to make their unfaithfulness legal. God considers the action that a man takes to, to divorce his wife in that manner as an act of violence to the one he should protect. In other words, when you, sir, took a vow and a commitment to make this woman your wife, you took a vow to protect her, but now what you're doing is committing an act of violence against her by trying to divorce her in this manner. You took a vow to protect her, now you're taking an act against her. You took a vow to love her, but now here comes an act of violence against her. You took a vow to protect her and to love her and to shield her and to cover her and to provide for her, but now to cover up your unfaithfulness and try to make your trash legal, you want to divorce her. God hates that. God hates this mess in total. So what you're saying, Pastor, is God doesn't hate divorce? That's not what I said. God doesn't celebrate. He don't go out and light candles and pop balloons and put up fireworks and do the, the, the herky-jerky shake when somebody gets divorced. He doesn't celebrate that. But what God does not like, what he hates, is somebody just trying to trump up divorce without a good reason. That's what he hates. So that being clarified, in my opinion, I tell you, I don't care what they say about what I'm saying. I care more about you than what anybody thinks of me. I care about making sure that you have and you are fully equipped than what anybody might say of my opinion or my interpretation. I will show you scripture, though. I will not just spit it out of my mouth off the cuff. 
But my concern is for you. And I'm not, leading, I'm not misguiding you. I'm not leading you astray. I'm not leading you out of the will of God. What I'm doing is equipping you. What I'm doing is teaching you that when life comes and you have a hard decision, don't run from God, run to him. Look in your Bible. Get it, the Holy Spirit. Sift through the hard, tough things of life. And divorce is one such thing. It shouldn't be something that because you're looking at a scenario that you feel God needs, God is requiring you to just stay in something that's, that's, that's adulterous and abusive and a, in a state of abandonment, strictly to keep the letter of the law. That sounds very Old Testament to me. To those people that always say, yeah, but you living in the grace. Oh, really? Really? Oh, so are we, oh, you sure? Let's not go mixing the two. But I really, I really don't care what they say. For you, I believe there are three, there are three criteria. Having said everything I've said, though, there's one overarching question that still remains. Here we go. Here's the essential question. Pastor, if divorce is a consideration, do I pull the trigger? And if so, when? Loved ones, that's between you and your spouse and God. But, oh, I've been loading you up, building you up for this point, because remember our seven letters that we talked about? Remember God's approach? God's approach is to, okay, we're going to lay out what's wrong here, and we're going to give you some time to get in line with the way you're supposed to be. But you don't have all day. That's God's approach. And if that approach applies and is applicable to your scenario, if this is you, then I hope you're able to apply that case before divorce gets momentum. I hope you're able to try to work it out before divorce grows so big that it's, what's the word, that it, it can't be reversed. It's, it's irreconcilable. irreconcilable, that your differences are irreconcilable, that it's imminent, that it's imminent. I do want to inject one extra tidbit, call, just call it bonus information, regarding just this whole combination. You know, we're kind of talking about, you can't talk about divorce without marriage. So I, I want to just throw in something here, and I want you to say something with me. And then we're going to read something out of Luke. 
Because loved ones, when it comes to it, divorce is less likely when two people enter marriage thoughtfully, genuinely devote themselves to each other, and do not go into marriage carrying the divorce option. Husbands and wives should view and treat their unions as sacred. They should treat them as bonds that should last forever. Now say this with me. Say no one. No one. Try it again. Say no one. No one. There you go. Must, Must. attempt to use Marriage or, divorce, marriage or divorce as a legal loophole. As a legal now, let me explain that to you. Look at Luke real quick. Just read this through. Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 18 in the Message Bible. When the, Pharisee, when the Pharisees, a money-obsessed bunch, heard him say these things, they rolled their eyes, dismissing him as hopelessly out of touch. So Jesus spoke to them, you are masters at making yourselves look good in front of others, but God knows what's behind the appearance. What society sees and calls monumental, God sees through and calls monstrous. God's law and the prophet's climax in John, now it's all the kingdom of God, the glad news and compelling invitation to every man and woman. The sky will disintegrate and the, earth will and the earth dissolve before a single letter of God's law wears out. Here we go. Let's read this together. Let's go. Using the legalities of divorce as a cover for lust is adultery. Using the legalities of marriage as a cover for lust is adultery. Now, both of these are serious. Now, let me give you real-life examples of what they're saying here. Because it's clear that you can see that using divorce to get your freak on somewhere else because you just want to be out there. Listen, I've been with you for a while. It ain't working out. But really behind the scenes, what you want to do is, is go and get your wild on. So, so you use divorce as a loophole. You understand that one, right? Now, here's the other one because people don't think about this one because it says you can't use divorce or marriage as a loophole. You was raised in the church, and you want to get your freak on. I need to stop saying that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you, want to, you want to have intimate relations. I, I, I do. I want to clean that up. I, but y'all get me. In the back of your mind, you go, he meant, he meant get your freak on. That's what he meant. But, but, so what you do is, you decide to get married so you can have sex legally. And now how is that lust? Because your drive is to get into the position to have legal sex, and you bypass the step of making sure the person that you're getting married to is really the one you love. It's just a loophole for you. And because you entered marriage through that loophole, you have set yourself up for a potential divorce. Because what you just, you, I don't, it's, it, it's better to marry than to burn. You heard that, right? I don't know if that's in the Bible. You know what I mean? It's better to marry than to burn. It's in there? It's better to marry than to burn. Oh, but what, what about, what, what, what else? Can you, can, you, can you take that some more? Yeah, you can. Because 
Every time you use marriage as a loophole, you prompt yourself, you get ready for, you make divorce possible. And it's a lot of this not dealing with things on the front end that gets you in the position of facing divorce. Here we go. What, what about another, another kind of lust? Yeah, you can, you can have another lust. Somebody has a lust, take it away from sex. Somebody has a lust to have a child. I know they, they don't want to have children outside of wedlock. So they get married as a legal loophole to bring children into the world. And they do that. Their focus is really the lust for the child, and they don't do the due diligence and get the right person. So they marry someone because they have sperm, but they don't have commitment. They marry someone that has sperm, but they absolutely got, got no devotion. They marry somebody with a womb, but she don't want to stay nowhere. She never, when you met her, you know she ain't want to stay nowhere. She's, she likes to be mobile. She don't like to be tied down. You marry her because she had a womb, but she has no intent of staying married. But you, but you worked it, and you put a ring on it, because what your focus was was on the child. You used marriage as a loophole. You should not use the legalities of divorce or the legalities of marriage as a loophole. When you use marriage as a loophole, you set yourself up for divorce. Both marriage and divorce are serious. And neither one should be used as a loophole. Now, understanding that you shouldn't, loosely, you shouldn't loosely consider marriage and you shouldn't loosely consider divorce. You shouldn't loosely consider any one of them. But family, if you are married and you have rumblings in the hallways and in the bedrooms and in the car about divorce, I need for you Prior to considering divorce, I need you to ask yourself these questions. Here we go. It's your criteria. Let's say this together. The first one, let's go. Is there adultery? That's your question number one. Next one, let's go. Is there abandonment? That's number two. Number three, let's go. Is there abuse? There you go. When you flip in that coin, I want you to flip that coin into that criteria. And that, as you flip, when you got the picture of your pastor in your mind while you flipping that thing, bop, you flipping that husband and that wife up in that criteria, I want you to keep this in the back of your mind. Give me the next image. Pastor is not promoting divorce. Amen. 
But, but wait, but wait, because what I don't want is I don't want nobody going home and she pull up in the, in the garage, Ricky, come downstairs, boy, we through. Pastor Benjamin said, no, 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 no. Don't you put my mouth, don't you put my name on your mouth like that. It just, Shaquita, where you at? That's all right, girl. You can get back to that show later. Come on, I got to tell you something. Girl, we through. Pastor Benjamin said, no, no don't, you, don't, you, don't you form your mouth to say that. That is not what Pastor Benjamin is saying. What I am saying is if your situation is such that Divorce is in the air. Whoever you are and wherever you are, whoever hears this. What I am saying is before you let that thought be too deep of a consideration, please at a minimum take the time to make sure that there are some grounds among our specific criteria that makes it a reason worth considering divorce. Please do that. If you can work through it, mm, God, I thank you that you can. But if you can't, don't let it be on a whim. At a minimum, use your criteria. Family, I pray that this, for people who are in this or hear this, that have this or that ever come across this, if it comes across in the future, I really pray that you, that I've given you some guideposts to help navigate that very complicated topic. Just like we were talking about for just person-to-person -person general relationships, I, I, I don't ever want to say just toss away a long-term relationship. You never just want to write people off. You don't want to scratch people's feelings. That's not what we're here to, that's not what we're saying. I mean, as a person who's been married over 30 years, I can tell you, and if you've been married, are married, you know sometimes you just butt heads. Things just get rough. And especially in this society, that word will come up in your head. Over 30 years, it'll pop in. But loved ones, there's value. If, 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 if you can work it through. When I look at my wife, I see her, but I don't see her only.
I see the history we have together. I see the family we've built together. I see the network that we've built of associates. I see all the times that she's taking care of me. I've seen the genuine affection that she has for me. I've seen so much that stacks up that says, even when it gets tough, and hey, even if something cropped up with her on that criteria, I'd want to give it a shot. I'd want to roll up my sleeves and at least try because of the value. For you, you got to judge, judge the abuse. You, you have to judge that. So you got to judge that. But I give you criteria. Now, I want to pray for you. I don't want anybody to come up because I don't want any type of, listen, I know we're in church, but sometimes when you pray for certain things and people start to move and people, people that, should, that should be thinking about God begin to think about you. For, for, for example, I, I'm going to pray for, 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 for marriages, but like if I, were to, if I were to call up these two and I know that they're happily married, but some people are like, why are they coming up there? They must need prayer. See, now you done, you done went off, off the deep end because that's not what I'm saying. Because I'm praying for marriage doesn't mean somebody got a problem. So I don't want anybody to move because I don't want to put anybody in a position to have to pray off some crazy thought you done had when you should have been listening to God and being in the spirit. But I'm going to pray. If you're married, I'm going to pray. If you're going to get married, I'm going to pray. But just, just receive the prayer. Close your eyes. God, I thank you for each and every person here. For those who are married, first, God, I pray that their union is loving, caring, and everything that marriage is designed to be. I pray that if there is anything that is causing the thought of divorce to arise, we want to get to it early. We want to cut it off at the root. We want, as the book of Revelation says, we want them to get back to their first love. Get back to whatever it was that caused you to want to get married in the first place. If there is a wife who is not doing those things that are conducive to the marriage being successful, we say now, do what you need to do to get that together. And ask God through the Holy Spirit to help you with whatever that task is. If there is a husband who is God just out of line. We pray right now that you touch his heart, that you give him the desire to do those things to get it right.
We don't want to come to the point to where we have to part. For those who have history, good history, children, other connections, God, we pray strength in their union. We pray, we pray, we pray a repairing of their union. For those who have lost a sense of intimacy, we pray for a fire to emerge. We pray for a desire that he has for her and a desire for her to him to just be reborn. We curse any type of seed of divorce from the root. For those who will get married in the future, we pray that as they make that decision to say yes to someone, that they do that having searched with you concerning that union that they do their due diligence to the best of their ability to know that the person they're getting ready to commit a lifetime to is worth it and willing to stay committed for a lifetime. I thank you for that, God. Yeah. Yeah, look this way. I want your eyes open for this final statement. Because this final statement is going to launch us into next week. For those of you who have experienced divorce, I want you to realize that in our progression through our vision on reengage, that goal says reengage life regardless of the fear or failure. Some of you may be divorced because you pulled the trigger. Some of you may be divorced because the other person pulled the trigger. Some may just be mutual. But if there is anything in you that because you have experienced that causes you to be hesitant in life, next week we're going to pick up the only verse of scripture on our re-engage category that we haven't used yet, Romans 8, because my brother and my sister, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You shall not live your life in condemnation. 
you are going to re-engage life. If it's in your heart to get married again, you're going to get it right. And we are not going to allow that seed to cause you to be anchored in decisions from your past. So if you have been divorced, guess what? God still love you. You're not a stepchild. His face still shines on you. He still smiles on you. Amen. Let's pray it out. God, I thank you that everybody here understands and have understood what we have spoken today and what we have shared. And they understand the spirit in which it was shared. We are not here promoting divorce, but what we are here is to enlighten each and every one of us that when that potential reality comes knocking at our door, that we need to be prepared to evaluate it correctly. And I thank you for your wisdom being locked in their heart and settled in their mind. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.